0: The Spin-Off Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to Going Global, a business's boring pop-up series brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. NZTE wants to help more Kiwi businesses reach their global potential. Visit getthere.nz to find out more. And now, here are your hosts, Brianne West and Simon Pound.
2: Kia ora koutou katoa and welcome to Going Global, a special pop-up series where we meet some of Aotearoa's most successful and inspiring exporters to find out the secrets to their success and bust some myths along the way. I'm Brianne West and I've been a guest on Businesses Boring with my company, Atik, and I'm joining the incredible Simon Pound, who is my co-host to explore everything export.
0: Uh-huh, it's awesome to have someone here who's actually done the work of taking a company to the world, with Atique's concentrated beauty products now in more than 6,500 stores around the world. And that's what we're here to discuss with this podcast. What does it take to take ideas overseas? And what's holding some people back from exporting? We've found some really interesting facts that tell us that although there have been great moves in the general New Zealand business scene, our exporters are still looking a bit more traditional, a bit paler, a bit mailer, and not capturing all the creativity of
2: the local scene. So, we're here to ask, why is this? What does it take to export? And how can we change this? We're speaking to six great exporters over six weeks to find out, like our guest today, Alive Sampson.
0: Olive Sampson, co-founded and as Chief Operating Officer, has grown CAMI into a huge international business. It's an online shared learning environment that began as a way for three students to collaborate with note-taking while at Auckland University. Now, their platform has over 32 million users, is used in one in two schools in the United States, and has seen huge adoption around the world as COVID disrupted traditional learning. It's one of the fastest growing and most successful exporters that New Zealand has produced. And they have just been named one of Time magazine's 100 most influential companies. So, yeah, hi, hey, welcome to Aleph Sampson Tanaque. Thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you for
2: having me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I love, I love Cami. It's an amazing company. So, first things first, big question how did you get started? What was your your driver, your
1: mission, your purpose? Personally, my drive in doing things has always been I want to do things in a bigger scale in a way. Like I I want to do things where I know that I'm going to make a difference with a lot of people's lives. I've always been interested in technology, so I did study some computer science when I was in the Philippines, when I moved here in New Zealand, I did study um political studies and media, because that's my other side of interest. And I've always remained quite intrigued into getting into the tech space. And luckily, I've met my then boyfriend, Hingy, and his best friend, Jordan. And they're both software engineers, and they have the same vision as well. They want to do something and build something that would make a difference with a lot of people's lives. Not just like, oh, let's build a tech startup because it's cool, but it's actually, what can we do to change other people's lives?
0: Yeah, that's so cool, and I imagine for software developers who are getting inboxed by everyone trying to employ them, <laughs> like, you can do anything you, you want in anything, that yeah. world, hey, and, and and just make a dollar. And yeah, well, to no, no, t- take us back actually to how you actually got mm. the company started. So how did the <laughs> three of you uh, yeah, like, like go from wanting to make a good impact mm. to creating Kami? Oh,
1: I was a yeah, it's a funny story, actually, because um, one morning, Hingy just group messaged me and Jordan saying, hey, there's this entrepreneurship challenge competition in Auckland Uni happening. I want us to enter. Um, during that time, they already have their part four project, and they really love the idea. And I'm already like, got into kind of that project as well, knowing what they their product is and all that information. And we were like, "Yeah, sure. When do we need to submit it?" It's like, "Oh yeah, in ten minutes." <laughs> <laughs> so he was apparently he was already filling out the form without telling us and completing everything. I was like, "Sure, <laughs> 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 sure, let's let's do it." So we got in. So we were one of the I forgot how many finalists there were. So it was a three month or a couple of months um, program wherein they help you learn how to start a business while also putting together the last presentation um, and business plan. That's the competition side of it. Um, so that's how we got started. From there, we've met Bob Drummond, who is now our co-founder, chairman, and CRO. He was one of our mentors. Um, so I can talk more about how it, what happened afterwards, but we, we didn't win the competition, but we did win by having Bob join our team. And he did ask us after the competition, what would you guys want to do? Would you like to continue or or something? And we were like, look, we're still keen. We, we want to move on with this idea. And he introduced us to our first investors, um, which is really good. And then the rest is history. That's so weird. That's like a teak starter story. We started an university <laughs> competition too, and oh, exactly awesome. the same There you team. go. Yeah, it's really weird. That's... I think it's like the perfect chance for you to test your idea and also like test yourself if this is something that you really want to do. Um, which kind of gave us a good, you know, preview of like, oh, this is how you start a business. This is the things that you need to do, um, which is really cool.
0: And what was the idea you wanted to explore and How is it today? Like, is it um, the same idea or or how do you describe it today?
1: So we started by solving our own personal problems. So I, as mentioned, I did arts in uni. I (laughs) spent most of my money printing out all my readings, all the presentations, um, and it's just too costly and that's not sustainable as well. In Hanging Jordan, they've always been looking on having a better, more interactive classroom, and they've seen it when they went to the Valley, and they've been to Stanford and all these amazing schools. And you can see everybody has their devices already, and they're already um, collaborating and sharing notes, um, which we didn't have in Auckland Uni during that time. But everyone already has a device in the classroom, in the lecture theater. But no one's talking to each other. Everybody's just taking their own notes, printing stuff, scanning stuff, and doing that uh, all those things. So we started by solving our own problems, which is I just want to digitize everything. I want to take notes next to the slides in the PowerPoint slides that I receive. It's great that we can now collaborate with the rest of the class um, all together in real time. So we started by selling and growing within um, New Zealand universities. That didn't grow as fast as we wanted to. um, So we pivoted. Right now, it's kind of similar in a way that in between, we kind of had a learning process of trying to figure out which market we really want to get into. We did find our way back to education again. Now we are inside the classrooms of K-12 to in the U.S. Our biggest market is North America. Teachers use us to do work, but also have the, their class do more collaborative work, more interactive work. Because um, right now, publishers don't give textbooks. They give them digital copies. So they no longer have to print it out, give it to students, get them correct or filled up, scan it again on their devices, which is so much mess and just too much time and resources wasted. So now Cami tries to cut that off and make everything more convenient Um, So it saves teachers a lot of time. Students uh, have more ability to to do better in class because now they can interact. Um, They can access all these files, even though they have a terrible Wi-Fi connection at home, which the app still works. We collaborate with a lot of learning management systems. So it's easier for the admin part of the school to implement CAMI. But also it saves them a lot of money because they no longer have to spend hundreds and thousands a year on printers, photocopy papers, you know, and just all these consumables. Um, So Kami just decreases all that, makes everything more efficient um, and easier for students. So I guess like just starting with our own personal problems into like seeing all these opportunities along the way. I mean, it seems like such an obvious solution. I mean, the best businesses and the best products
2: are an obvious solution. Mm. And I mean, that explains why it's been a mega success. How big, you know, we've heard some numbers, but how big actually is it?
1: Right now, we have around 33 million signed up users. Um, (laughs) Our biggest market is North America, and we're seeing a lot of um, interest and growth um, in Europe and in Asia as well. Um, I think in the past couple of years with the pandemic, it sped everything up by around five years of improvement. Because even before the pandemic, there's already a lot of K-12 schools looking into their five-year plan and how they digitize the classroom and transform everything in their resources. I guess the pandemic just made everybody more aware and realize that they got to have a better system so that it's more flexible and more efficient for everyone.
0: And were you always shooting for something at that scale? Like, um, because, like, (laughs) that's
1: enormous. (laughs) Like, it's
0: quite amazing to think, like, you know, and is it a really cool thing to be able to think about the fact that it is? Um, You know, not just saving money and not just saving time and not just making it more efficient, but I imagine helping kids collaborate and share notes and kind of, like, be more than the sum of their parts is really cool.
1: I guess we we always want to do big. That's why when we started... We always have that thinking during that time, okay, you got to start small within the backyard to test out your idea. Unfortunately, we spent 2013 doing that and it didn't give us the result that we wanted to. Like for our first year, we got 5,000 signups and for us, that's not good enough. And we know that we cannot scale that in the process that we were doing in terms of marketing it and trying to pitch it, to universities, it's, it's not scalable. So we pivoted around end of 2013. Um, we are at the end of our first seed round funding. And we're like, okay, it's now or never. We're already doing all the work right now. It's not going to be much, any difference. Let's just try and go big. Let's go to the U.S., look at it, see how that goes. And it gave us really good feedback. And that kept us quite interested in just, you know, trying to finesse our business plan and our marketing strategy, um, which led us to where we are right now. So what does going to the US actually mean for budding exporters out there?
2: What does that look like for you?
1: Going to the US looks like for, I guess it's the way of thinking as well as founders is that there are choices that needs to be made that we need to just decide on. And one of the things is, you know, not, listening anywhere else aside from just focusing on the market so during that pivot that I've mentioned we've we've had feedback from people oh no just do this and do that you can go back to like selling to New Zealand schools maybe I can connect you to someone or something but we're quite eager to just see what happens so we started just focusing on looking into American schools how's that going what do they do what do they need Um, what does it teacher do in a day as well. Just trying to understand, you know, small details into the market that we're trying to target and just trying to, we call this, clear our perspective from everything else um, and just focus on just America during that time. Um, that helped us really have this good direction in terms of just exporting to the US. Mm. Lines of focus. And <laughs> how, how do
0: you, do you get on the ground? Did you go and do... Uh, you know, visit the schools or like, how do you actually as well? Because I imagine um, selling into schools must be a really locked down uh, process with heaps of procurement and all the rest of it <laughs> yes. and councils to get on and panels and this, that and the other. And like teachers don't have like discretionary budget necessarily. Yeah. So yeah, how do you, and, 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 and like selling something for like small, quite young children, like, is quite hard. Like, it, it feels like you've cracked, like, some of the kind of, like, most challenging things. How, how do you get How do you get in
1: there? The funniest thing is that we didn't fully focus into education, not till 2016. So around, you know, 2014, when we pivoted to, you know, American market, it was quite wide. We We casted our net quite wide. We had doctors, real estate, um hotels, some of the biggest hotel brands um, started using our product because during that time they see it as a PDF annotation editor. Um, so we did catch a lot of other industries, um, but we, at some point during that time, there's only four or five of us in the team and we got to focus. We got to focus even like, you know, better than what we're already doing. So around 2016, we decided that education is... Our passion. It helped that during that time, we got a funding from Education New Zealand to attend a trade show, an EdTech trade show in I think it was Orlando. That was our first trade show. It brought us there and made us realize that all, all these teachers need our product. They just don't want it; they need it. So that's the difference between the other industries that we've looked into is because, yeah, they yeah I want this. It's great, it's such a great app. And then, you know, when we met the teachers in person, they were literally crying and they're like, I need this, that's the keyword, need. So we're like, okay, that's an easy answer. Then education is is our pathway. But the next question is, how do we sell? <laughs> like, how do we sell to schools? Like, selling to professional professionals is easier. You can you can just you know figure it out easily. Um, but you know we're we're quite eager. Maybe we're a little naive <laughs> what we're trying to get into. But we we just kept going in a way of we continued talking to a lot of teachers. Every day we talked to hundreds of teachers, like really good conversations. Um, and just getting to know what it's like to be a teacher, what does budgeting <laughs> look like, being a teacher or non-existent budgets, um, and what would their admin be convinced to like um, buy our app. So there was a lot of research that went on. Um, we did fly back and forth in the US a lot um, because none of us have been in a US classroom. We didn't grow up in the US. So there was a lot of learning in terms of localizing our pitch and also just fully understanding what they really need. I
2: mean, your product to me is a solid solution for irritating problems I remember at university. Um, But there would have been sort of similar solutions-ish already out in the market. So how did you How did you fight to the death against the likes of Google or (laughs) Adobe?
1: Well, we didn't fight them. We embraced them because the best thing, I guess, in terms of having a SaaS product is that you got to learn how to compete but also to work with alongside with these other players. So in terms of Google, we partnered with them early days. So we get to know their team and get to know... What are the needs in terms of their users and what features are actually missing? So our initial growth came from the Google Marketplace, the Google Chrome Web Store. I don't know what it's called now. (laughs) They keep changing the name. (laughs) So that's how we grew. So we didn't have any advertising, any, any much spend on marketing, but it's all about users finding us from... All these platforms seeing great reviews and just telling other people about it. Um, so with Google, we've integrated with them. And with Google Classroom, we have a really beautiful integration with them. Um, similar with other big players, with Microsoft, Canvas, and other big learning management platform. So I think that's what makes Cami stand out com- compared to like other apps out there who kind of does something similar is that we want to make sure that the workflow of a teacher is just seamless. Like they don't have to worry about like, how do I make this work with this and that? So we try to figure out, okay, what apps do you use so that we work well with them? And it's not going to be hindrance for anyone to just like jump onto different apps. Um, So that's one of the biggest things that we Look into when we talk to teachers every day, it's like, "How do I make your life even easier for today <laughs> what what can I do um, so those are the things that we did in terms of big partners,
0: yeah, where you mentioned there that you know your teachers became your big advocates. And that meant that you didn't have to have massive marketing budgets against some of these massive companies. That kind of reminds me a bit of like the antique story, hey, Mm. where, you know, these beauty brands have like the biggest budgets in the world for advertising. So if you can't out-advertise them, you've got to kind of, you know, rich people.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think it's all about story. Um, Exactly. The likes of some of those big uh, CPG or uh, consumer products or beauty brands, they don't have the the depth of story that you know so many startups and indie brands do and you've got to lean into that and get people talking about that because again it goes back to the why why are you doing something l'oreal are doing something to sell a product that's how we competed
0: yeah magic and we'll be back in a moment to chat about what it means to be an exporter and to get some insight into the most important things to know if you're thinking about going global We said earlier that exporting looks a lot more like the old traditional New Zealand business. What does that mean, Brian?
2: I mean, it's bananas that women are seriously underrepresented when it comes to export. Around 28% of our goods companies in Aotearoa are led by women. But when we look at goods exporters, that number drops to 15%. What could
0: it do for New Zealand if all of the cool, or even just more of the cool, woman-led companies in this country did get to exporting.
2: Just imagine, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise wants to support more people to reach their global potential.
0: So if you're a woman in business, and this kōrero has got you thinking about what you have to offer beyond our borders, get in touch with NZTE. To find out how they can help you get there, head to getthere.nz/woman. We're here with Alev Sampson from Kami, discussing exporting, which is something New Zealand needs to do more of. But in an interesting twist, we've found that not everyone who's selling things overseas considers themselves an exporter, and so they're not going and getting the help that they could to grow as much as they could. Is this something that you've found? Like, did you think of yourself as an exporter,
1: Alev? Funniest thing, if we've never <laughs> thought about ourselves as exporter, I guess that's the difference. If you have a digital product, you, you can just go anywhere that you want without leaving your room um, and not worrying about some of the barriers into exporting, physically exporting items. But looking back at it, we are exporting because we we want to maintain our team here in New Zealand but still focusing overseas is our main market, um, which is quite interesting, <laughs> looking back at it
0: ah, and hearing you say earlier that it was things like attending a conference with the support mm-hmm. of uh, a government body that kind of kicked you into another gear, like do you think thinking of yourself as an exporter means that you would go and seek out that help earlier
1: i think look looking back at, at the th- things that we've gone through while we're establishing ourselves in the U.S., we would have done things a little bit faster and better than we would have done if we did have some help, especially when you're trying to get into some paperwork and, you know, structuring a new company in Delaware C Corp or some taxes or anything that you need to think of and also look into when you're starting a business. I really wish we did have some help we did have some help but you know the help that could have been given would have increased some of these um admin work that we've encountered along the way
0: yeah and as coo i'll bet that a lot of those headaches end up (laughs) (laughs) in your email inbox
1: oh yeah i'm so thankful though because like i said we did have some help from some individuals and it was nice that bob you know he he had a company who's already exporting to the US so he already had a, a to-do list of things that we need to do and that was easy <laughs> for us but i can imagine if someone with 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 no resources no you can't just easily google that as well because things change so fast and there are, there are so many details that you need to know to get things more efficiently i guess um that's when you got to start looking for help in asking those who can help you um, in doing that side of the business.
2: I do wonder if one of the reasons we see that uh, drop-off in in companies that export is through preconceived notions about what export means and Mm -hmm. how hard it is or challenges and barriers that you may or may not face. Did you have any thoughts about what it would be like that were or were not true?
1: I guess for us, we've always learned that uh, you know, there's always a cheat sheet somewhere that we can just follow and we're trying to, you know, someone from Y Combinator would have created a blog post on how to like start a business in the US if you're an overseas business. So we kind of took that as a great way to get started. But I can imagine if, you know, if your business is something different or even some digital businesses I can imagine would still encounter some problems or some challenges along the way that would definitely make them feel like, oh, this is impossible um, to go through. But, you know, the the great thing is we do have resources. (laughs) We have resources here.
2: Yeah. New Zealand is one of those places where if you've got a question, you can find out, you know, there's
1: so many people willing to help you. Exactly. Which is great. Like, there's entity. Um, we've, we've met a lot of them while we were in the U.S. as well. Even some small questions, they would be easily, you know, help us or introduce us to the right people or give us the right link to something or um, which is really useful.
2: Yeah. So overall, you found export a a positive experience, and it wasn't perhaps as difficult
1: as people might imagine. The funniest thing I find like when we started exporting to the US, that was way easier than us knocking on the doors <laughs> 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 in uni. Like it was such a struggle, like trying to knock on professors' doors and convincing them, "Hey, please use technology." I find that exporting videos is actually easier for us.
0: Yeah. What are some of the, I mean, because you're in a lot of places around the world, hey, like what are some of the differences you've found between these markets? And how do you work out, you know, the differences <laughs> when you're <laughs> developing a market and what you have to do?
1: So since we've always had a small team, so resources-wise, we're quite restricted, so we really need to go back to that focus and just, like, focus on America, even though we were seeing a lot of growth in Hong Kong, per se, or UK or somewhere in Europe. So we're still open to that, but we're slowly just keeping an eye on it, I guess, on how it plays out, because at some point we will need to grow and start developing those markets. So for us, what would be the best path to open the next market next, it's always been our daily question: um, Will it be UK? Will it be Asia? So we're just always keeping an eye on that, and we maintain that conversation and communication with the users as well. Like I know I've mentioned, we make sure that we talk to teachers every day, and that's not just the founders, but everybody in the team has to talk to a teacher has to have that conversation so that they understand and sympathize with them and not just like, oh, it's just it's just a number. It's an actual person that you're helping and you're dealing with. Um, So we do that with overseas teachers as well. Like we're trying to figure out what does a Japanese teacher um, feel and see in terms of how does the classroom work for her? Um, How do we help her into making her day to day life easier? So we're constantly thinking of that, just trying to replicate what we did in the US, but also trying to figure out: okay, is there anything else that's special in that region that we didn't do in the US, but we should be doing for this region? Um, yeah, just constant learning and questioning, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's the key to success in, in different markets. Is without question, you've got you—you you can't just drop your cookie cutter business into each area. I know a lot of businesses try. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of companies I know and entrepreneurs feel they've got to have this, you know, three five year plan where year one we're going to go to America, year two we're going to go to Japan, <laughs> year three we're going to do this. But it's so much, it's so much more relaxed than that. I mean, uh, we have never ever planned an entry into a country in my life, and it's all just happened <laughs> organically. And it's exactly. obviously very so,
1: same. That's where <laughs> the demand comes from, right? Exactly. So it's just making sure you're always observing what is happening around you. Because like that would dictate where you're going to go next. And it's not just like, oh, I'm going to go here because reasons. It's not going to work out because that's how you grow organically. Like you've mentioned, Brianne, is actually the market telling you that, hey, we're ready for you. Come sell us (laughs) something. So do you think that's the key to sort of your success in selling in those different markets? I think so, because it made, like I've mentioned, we've never had advertising before. Um, everything was organic, we really focused heavily on building our community, our community of teachers and how do we leverage that and how do we grow that and scale that further with the limited resources that we've had. So for us, that's very important in any any way of like looking into getting into a new market as well. Nothing more powerful than word of mouth.
0: Yeah, it really feels like you've done things your own way as well because I think if you were to have you know, not picked the right financial partners, you know, to invest in you and stuff. And if, you, if you'd if you gone down a really typical Silicon Valley, raise a big round and then spend it all on Google and Facebook advertising. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you, you might have had a different path, but I keep hearing, you know, this focus and this really intentional way of not just like spending money on advertising and not just running at every opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I think we we got really really good at just knowing what we can and cannot do like personally what are our strengths and what can how can we leverage that during that early period of the business we yeah you see a lot of say startups raising massive funds and just going hard on <laughs> advertising which for us is like that's great but how do you keep them if they don't actually love your product so that's a an obvious question. So for us, like raising fund for us, it's more like finding, like you mentioned, finding the right partner so that we do get into the right path. We do share the same understanding of where the business should be, but also give us enough resources to give us the best advice that we can for the next stage of the business. Yeah, that helped us quite a lot
0: because there must be big needs for um you, you know those kind of capital partners when you do go from a startup to having 32 million and still growing yeah. like the absolute clappers you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. well especially during now that you know with all the vc fund floating around things are better in terms for an edtech company cuz pre covid when you say you have an edtech company Oh that's not sexy. It's not a social media platform. It's not a Instagram or or not even a TikTok during that time. But it's it's not an easy pitch, you know, to sell to investors. Um and there's always a question of how will that work in terms of selling? But now that we've gone through this couple of years of learning through the pandemic, a lot of money has been put into a tech But that doesn't mean that it's an easy, yes, I'll take your money and move forward. But also we're trying to remain true to ourselves. Okay, what have we been doing this past few years? Where do we want to go next? So those are very important for us. And it's not just, you know. Here, here's more money <laughs> throwing at you
2: i've never understood that really bizarre particularly silicon valley way yeah. of raising money they raise so much so it's much. like eye-watering and then <laughs> they spend it all and i have no idea what on because how can you even spend 300 million no. in like three months obviously you knew you, you i mean just by the sheer success of what you've achieved i wouldn't imagine you have too many regrets or things you would do differently and i look at the end of the day what you've done has got you where you are. But is there anything you would tell yourself if you could go back in time and say, look, please, for the love of
1: God, don't do that or Mm. do more of this? Yeah. I think the biggest regret, personally, I don't know what my co-founders have in their mind, but personally I find that 2013 was the biggest waste of time for us. It's where we started. That's where we learned and did things. Because, you know, when we started, the business or the business plan when we joined that competition. We've always wanted to grow big overseas, but we kind of did the opposite. Really, I don't know what happened, but we, we did the opposite we're in. We stayed local and we tried doing it locally and that didn't work for us. So I think in terms of when you think of a startup every year is, feels like a 10 year, <laughs> feels like a decade. So I wish we could have taken that year and done better on that year. We could have immediately went to the U.S. and grew even faster than we we were. Um, so that was my biggest regret. Maybe not taking that chance that we've been thinking of. We should have gone big on day one. And that's one of the things I always tell other, um, you know, entrepreneurs or people who want to jump into their entrepreneurship is like, oh, I'll just start small or I'll just start New Zealand. It's like, why? Is there a reason why you should start in New Zealand? If there is a good reason, then great. But if you're like us, who was, you know, immediately like a digital business, we could have easily gone to the bigger market, which we've always wanted to, but we didn't. Um, I think... If only I knew or we knew that it was that easy, <laughs> we mm. could have done it. Um, what is big? Big for us is when we know that teachers around the world know our, our product mm-hmm. and they love our product, which right now we know that we're big because it kind of reflected in the recent press that we've got. Um, we know that we have that influence because teachers are talking about us, and telling great things about us. So that's big Can, for us.
0: Tell us about that recent press. Like, How does it feel to to, to land in the Time 100 Most Influential Companies and Ideas list?
1: It's surreal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a funny story on how we found out about it. <laughs> so we um, March 30th, I, I saw a Slack post from someone, and I was just laughing because i was like this is the most elaborate april fools ever (laughs) i love it and it was real (laughs) it was real and i just kept looking at the website it's like really is it is it real because just the day before i saw the cover floating online and in my mind i was like wouldn't it be cool to be part of that list (laughs) and the next day we found out we were part of the list and we're like what just happened <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's because you know time magazine talked to a lot of teachers and they've been talking about kami so that's the influence that we've got so it's we didn't win the best company in the world or the the biggest company in the world but we we got in there because teachers talk about us and they love us which is a great way to you know, to look into the years of work that we've done that we're actually doing something good and we're doing something big. That's how we describe big as well. Is is it actually working? Mm. Teachers actually love us. Does it Um, actually
2: have a positive impact on people's lives, not just how many you touch? Exactly,
1: which is really good and the rest of the team they're still waiting for Ashton Kutcher to get out of the van and say you're punked <laughs> it's still a running joke do in that? the office
0: <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like, I think I think these days isn't he more likely to jump out and say can I invest I yeah,
1: know that's <laughs> that's to yeah. say. <laughs> but it's a running joke in the office but because it's not just me but the rest of the team there's just you know, surreal. Yeah,
0: but, And do you? where do you think you are on your journey? As I mean, these are some big numbers, but like the wave of ed tech and digitization is still pretty new, hey?
1: Still pretty new because, you know, when you look at it, it's been centuries of not much progress in the classroom. We've always been stuck in the four walls of the classroom with the blackboard in front of you, teachers stuck in front of the classroom. So we're trying to change that, to To make sure that it works for the teacher and the students. Now, teachers doesn't have to stand in front. They can just walk around with their Chromebook, talk to the students, talk to those who really need their attention. Um, and for those who can easily do their work, they're already helping other students as well, not just themselves. So we're changing what it looks like in the classroom, but also, you know, removing the barrier, removing that um, the walls that just separates a good student from a bad student. So one of the things that we've learned visiting schools is that we, there were separate classes for special needs students and they used different apps for that. And we're like, you can use Cami, and you can join the rest of the class. You don't have to be labeled something just because you have a different way of learning. Now they, they just combine the class because they just use Kami together and it just gives them this opportunity to be part of the rest of the class, but also doing their learning in their own pace, which is...
0: Yeah, that's so magic. And as a final thought, what advice would you have for someone thinking of going
1: global? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, like whenever I meet someone who, who really wants to do something, I would just tell them like, look, do it. Um, There's no better time than now. If you feel like you got to do something, then you got to do it. I'm not saying it's easy. There's always challenges along the way. There's always a a lot of, you know, questioning yourself whether you're in the right path. But you wouldn't know until you start doing it. And there's no stopping in, you know, whether it's a tangible product or a digital product like Rihanna has already shown us you can easily sell overseas easily, Um, you can do it. Yeah,
0: oh, that's so magic. Thank you so much for sharing your export story with us today. That's Aleph Simpson. Tēnā Thank
1: you.
2: I really enjoyed that. I love how she comes from a place where she just wants to have such a positive impact on the people who use their product. Um, But I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was go big or go home from day one, not just, you know, it was all leap forward, straight away into international markets. Because I was always taught that if you aren't profitable in your home country, don't look offshore until you've you've sorted that out. And look, it has some merit, but just goes to show you that that's not the case in every situation.
0: Yeah, if there's a massive global opportunity, maybe go go chase it. And I love the way that she was saying that that identified that that was the opportunity, then they didn't do it. Yeah. But like, if you've identified it, like run really hard. And the other thing I thought was really cool was that focus point, which, you know, you're, you're, you've you're got so many of these opportunities come in and they're real shiny and you want to pursue them and you want to chase them. But there's such a great uh, proof point that if you do focus on that big goal and just on the big goal, you'll go a lot further than by putting your energy into 10 directions.
2: Yeah, I mean, entrepreneurs are like magpies and you do get absolutely hammered with all sorts of opportunities. It's super duper exciting, particularly in the early days. So if you don't focus, you will just wallow away, not achieving anything. So that's a very good point.
0: Oh, I love them. They're doing such a great job. Um, yeah. So thank you to Elle of Simpson for coming in. Thanks, Brianne. Thank you to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer Deihe Butler. Do follow Business Is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what we do, please do rate or leave us a review. In e
1: you've been listening to Going Global, brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network in partnership with New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. It was hosted by Brianne West and Simon Pound. It was produced by Tiaihe Butler with content management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. Special thanks to our partnerships editorial team of Elisa Rivera, Alice Webladal, and Simon Day. If you want to know how New Zealand Trade and Enterprise can help you take your business to the world, visit getthere.nz today. The
2: Spin-Off Podcast Network.